Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia, brothers and sisters. The story of Jesus' resurrection, the Easter Sunday Gospel. This morning we're going to read it from Matthew's Gospel, one of Jesus' disciples recording the events of that day. Uh, This is from his Gospel, chapter 28. I invite you to stand as we hear the events of that morning. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. That's the gospel of the Lord, friends. You may be seated. We use the word angel really strangely. Just the other day, I heard myself say about a friend's easy-sleeping newborn, oh, what a little angel. And because I'd been preparing to preach on this text today, I caught it and I thought about it. Why do we talk about babies as angels? So partly, this comes from painters during the Renaissance who used winged infants to depict cherubs, a kind of angel. And if you want, you could do a whole deep dive into Greek mythology to understand where that idea came from. I'm not going to do that this morning. I'll just tell you, ultimately, it's the Renaissance we sort of have to thank for our cultural image of angels as chubby-cheeked babies, the kind depicted by those precious moments figures that were so popular a few decades ago. You know what I'm talking about, right? The little ceramic kids with the big heads and the soulful eyes. Not particularly scary. Well, the Bible describes cherubs, or cherubim, in this way. The cherubim flew in any direction their head faced without turning. Their entire bodies, including their backs, hands, and wings, were full of eyes. Each had four faces. One face was that of a cherub, the second that of a human being, the third the face of a lion, and the fourth the face of an eagle. If you ask me, those sound a lot less like precious moments figures on somebody's shelf, right? They sound more like some kind of a horrifying attack drone that's about to launch a missile at me. The angel that got described in our gospel reading wasn't one of that sort, but its appearance still inspired terror. And that's something we see all throughout the Bible. Whenever an angel shows up on scene, people get the heebie-jeebies. Right, we use the word angelic, and what would we think of? The smiling baby, dimpled chin, curly hair. Those Roman soldiers guarding Jesus' tomb would have defined angelic, if you ask them, as blinding, powerful, awe-inspiring, fear-provoking. And the women had the same reaction. They were afraid. Mary Magdalene, specifically, had very good reason to fear. Mary had experience with the world of spirits and immaterial powers. At one point in her life, Mary Magdalene had been possessed by seven demons. Demons are, quite simply, fallen angels. They belong to the same class of being as the shining man figure which she saw sitting on that stone. Let me back up and make something clear. I'm operating under the presupposition that there are such entities as angels and demons, spiritual beings and powers. See, the Bible teaches that such things are real. Our sneaking suspicion that there's more to our world than meets our eyes, more than our scientific instruments can measure, the Christian scriptures proclaim that view. The Bible 
teaches that our resurgent cultural interest in spiritism, in crystals, and astrology, and all these other things, right, the reason you see signs for Long Island Psychic Fair, in fact, there's one just across the corner from us, that interest might be misinformed, but it's not uninformed. Because there are powers and forces beyond our control in this world. Many of them are malignant and evil. Again, Mary experientially knew this to be true. She knew that she, Mary, was weaker than these powers. She had been subject to them. She had been oppressed by them. She had been controlled and commanded by them. Then Jesus had set her free. We have many accounts of Jesus freeing people from demon possession in the Bible. Mary's isn't explicitly recounted to us. We're only given one offhand reference to it in Luke's Gospel, but for Mary, those details would have been unforgettable. Jesus came, and this one man, where no one else had been able to help her, cleared out seven spirits without breaking a sweat. And now he was dead. So the other Gospels tell us that as Mary went to look at the tomb, she was crying. Can you blame her for that? Someone who had protected her was gone. Some of you understand what that feels like. Someone who had cared about her was gone. Some of you understand that feeling. Someone who had been a, a pillar of stability, of strength in her life, was gone. Stability, she had seen his clothes gambled away at random by soldiers. Strength, she had seen his, his dead body limp and broken on the cross. And she had probably cried about this all weekend, but now come that Sunday morning, her tears had stopped long enough for her to gather up spices and perfumes. She and the other Mary had gained enough control to go and honor him as best they could. And what did Mary Magdalene find looming over Jesus' tomb? A spirit! An entity of supernatural power. I can only imagine the chill that ran down her spine because Jesus had come and the spirits had gone. Jesus had left. The spirits were already back. But this spirit had a different message for her. Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel tells her. Jesus isn't here, but he's not gone. And Mary, it happened just as he said. Every demon Jesus cast out, Mary's included, was sent away by the power of his voice alone. Mary knew Jesus' voice was powerful. And the angel tells her, Mary, Jesus' word, the very same power which freed you from your captivity, promised that this would come about. If Mary knew that Jesus freed her from those demons, and she sure did, then she could know he was just as truly no longer dead, but alive, because what he said always came to pass. There's one little word in the angel's message to Mary that should stand out to us. It's the word for. Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus. It's a little word in Greek also. Uh, gar, just three letters, just like for in English. Another way to translate gar is because. Don't be afraid because I know you are looking for Jesus. See, this angel this awe-inspiring, powerful, transcendent being, says that someone who comes near to it, seeking Jesus, has nothing to fear. Not because angels aren't scary, they sure are. Not because angels are cute and cuddly, big-eyed toddlers, they sure are not. But because Mary and Mary came looking for Jesus, they had no need to fear this powerful being. Angels frighten people all over the Bible because they are powerful. They are beyond our control. But over and over, when angels appear to God's people, they bring that same message, don't be afraid. Angels are God's servants. They do his bidding. There is never any reason for one of God's people to fear an angel because they are joyfully under his 
command and his command for them is always, always, always to care for his children. So this angel gives the women the message he was sent to give them. Jesus has risen, just as he said, go and tell his disciples. And immediately they run off. They, they run off filled with joy, but still afraid, we're told. Afraid of what? Well, not of the angel anymore, it would seem, but there's still this whispering worry in their hearts. Could it be untrue? Suddenly, Jesus met them greetings, he said. So simple. The, the word he uses there is just the Greek version of hi there, as if he'd never left them, as if their fears and worries were totally unfounded. Well, they were. He had promised this. He had told them everything that was going to happen, and now here he was, just as he'd promised. Their fears had been unfounded. Their worries had been unnecessary. So he echoes the words which the angel had been sent to deliver to them. Don't be afraid. They had run from the tomb with that worry whisper in their hearts, uncertainty trying to strangle their joy, and with his simple greeting, he banished it all. They had no need to be afraid of anything any longer because even death was subjected to Jesus. There is no power, no force, no entity in this material world or in the spiritual world which is not subject to the risen Jesus Christ. Not angels or demons, not economies or cultures, not death itself. There is nothing which you, child of God, need to fear. Not because Easter puts you in control or gives you some kind of power, but because Easter shows us that Jesus is in control. You may encounter a hundred things today alone that are beyond your power. They are not beyond Jesus' power. They are not out of his control. He will reign until every enemy is put under his feet, and the last enemy he will forever destroy is death. Because Jesus lives now and forever, so will you. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen.